Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. At the end of Paul's first missionary journey, he had a confrontation with some men who came down from Judea to speak with the brethren in Antioch. Paul arrived in Antioch after his first missionary journey, and what took place is recorded in Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15 verse 1 says that some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. The Apostle Paul and Barnabas did go up to Jerusalem. They spoke with the elders. They spoke with the apostles. And there was a very important council meeting that took place, as described in Acts chapter 15, that tells us what happened when the apostles and the elders came together to discuss this subject. When they debated and discussed this subject, James gave his judgment. James was considered to be the head of the church in Jerusalem, And he gave an official judgment, and his judgment was very simple. It was, let's not bother the Gentiles. That was his official judgment, to just simply not bother them, but to simply encourage them to abstain from those things that were contaminated by idols, from fornication, from things that were strangled, and, of course, from blood. Beyond that, they should not be concerned about the Gentiles. And he explains the reason why they should not be concerned about the Gentiles, and that was given in Acts chapter 15, verse 21, for Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. In other words, don't worry about those Gentiles. If they really want to know the truth, if they really want to know how they should be expected to live their daily lives in light of their belief in Jesus as the Messiah, If they really want to know, they can go to the synagogues. And so don't worry about those Gentiles. They're just Gentiles anyway. The Jews, on the other hand, were another matter. There was an expectation that Paul would go to the Gentiles and leave the Jews alone and leave the Jews to the church of Jerusalem to deal with the Jews, to address the concerns of the Jews. Why? Well, simply because the gospel that Paul was preaching was different from the gospel that the church in Jerusalem was preaching. The church in Jerusalem were not preaching the same gospel that Paul was. Paul describes this in Galatians chapter 2, that he went and met with them privately to explain to them the differences in terms of the gospel that he preached versus the gospel that they preached. We know this, and we have this recorded. And while the people in Jerusalem, the apostles in Jerusalem, told Paul that they had the expectation that he would leave the Jews to them, that he should go to the Gentiles, Paul did not obey that decree. He did not subscribe to that opinion. He did not follow through or abide under that directive, however you would want to describe it. And the reason why was simply because Paul did not agree with them. 
He did not agree with them, and just because he went to go meet with them and present his case did not mean that he subjected himself to their judgment. That's not what that meant. But all of this was spurred on. All of this controversy took place because of the subject of circumcision. And after all that occurred, there was a judgment that the Gentiles may not necessarily have to be circumcised in order to be saved. But we know, based on what the church taught at that time, and based on the letters that Paul wrote afterwards, I believe that we can have great confidence that the church would then say, but if you do not get circumcised, we would hold your salvation suspect. We would be concerned as to whether or not you truly are saved, because we would expect you to perform the works of the law. We would expect you to perform the works of Moses as evidence, as a demonstration of your faith that you actually believe and trust in the living God, and so you would obey his commandments in order to be blessed or in order to be pleasing to God. I sincerely believe that we could anticipate that that would be their conclusion on the matter based on the evidence that we have before us. So when Paul left Jerusalem, he returned to Antioch, and then he went out on his second missionary journey. Now, when he went out on his second missionary journey, the history of what took place is recorded in Acts chapter 16, beginning in Acts chapter 16. And what we find in Acts chapter 16 is that he meets a young man by the name of Timothy. This is described in Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 1, where Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. In verse 3 it says, Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So after the big controversy in Acts chapter 15, after the big event, the big council meeting, the big judgment, all that had to do with raising this question of whether or not somebody would have to be circumcised, Paul defends his case that you do not have to be circumcised to be saved, and I sincerely believe that he also taught that you do not have to be circumcised after you're saved, After all of that, he takes Timothy and he circumcises him. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? Well, some people could suggest that he did that because Timothy was Jewish. If Timothy was a Gentile, then he would not have circumcised him because the council passed judgment that a Gentile did not really have to be circumcised. But there would be an expectation, perhaps, that a Jew would have to be circumcised. I do not believe that that is a proper conclusion for many reasons. First of all, because of everything else that Paul had to say about the subject. But just looking at Acts chapter 16, we have the answer right here found in verse 3. That he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews. It doesn't say that he circumcised him because he wanted to ensure that he was properly saved. That's not what was recorded here. The text simply says that Paul circumcised Timothy because of the Jews, not because of Paul, not because of Timothy, but because of the Jews. And the reason why was because Paul was going to go and minister to the Jews. He was going to go and reach out to the Jews. He was going to go into the synagogues and speak with the Jews there about the gospel. Now, why would he be doing that? Did he not just return from Jerusalem? And the church in Jerusalem said, We commend you to go out to the Gentiles, just leave the Jews to us. Well, of course that's what they said, but he did not agree. He did not agree with that. 
He didn't bother arguing with them about it. He just simply received the words that they communicated to him. He received what they had to say, and then he went on his way and did whatever he wanted to do anyway. He did not subject himself under the authority of the apostles in Jerusalem. He didn't do that, and this is evidence to show not only did he not do that, but he directly went against the judgment that they exercised, the judgment that they placed that they believed was valid judgment in light of the circumstances. And so Paul goes into the synagogues with Timothy, and in order for Timothy to be allowed entrance into the synagogues, he would have to be circumcised. That was the culture, that was the people, that was what the people believed about what would be important to them. Not necessarily to Timothy, but they sincerely believed that if they were going to permit a Jewish person to enter into the synagogue, and Timothy was recognized to be Jewish by the Pharisees because he was born of a Jewish mother. Even though his father was a Greek, the Pharisees did believe that if a person was born from a Jewish mother, regardless of whether or not their father was Jewish, they still would be recognized as Jewish. That's what they believed, and so if Timothy was not circumcised, then he would be a Jew who should be exiled from the nation of Israel, exiled from the synagogue, cast out from among the people, and never to be even acknowledged to be even alive. If he was a Gentile, however, then that would be more acceptable. They could allow the Gentile to come into the synagogue, but there would be an expectation that if the Gentile ever chose to be a part of the synagogue, to really subject themselves to the law of Moses it was expected that they would be circumcised in accordance with the law of Moses, in accordance with the procedure by which a person would convert to Judaism. And so that would be expected. However, with Timothy, he had not been circumcised yet, and so Paul circumcised him in order to allow him to go into the synagogue, to go along with Paul, because Paul was going to go and reach out to both the Jews and the Gentiles. He wanted Timothy to go along with him, to minister to other people with him. So if that was the case, it would be more effective for Timothy to be circumcised so he could go with Paul at all times. Otherwise, this is how it would play out. Paul would go into a community. He would want to go and visit the Jews in the synagogue to begin presenting the gospel there. But Timothy would have to wait outside or somewhere else until Paul was finished. And then at a later date at another location, Paul could eventually begin to introduce Timothy to the new people who would start believing in Jesus as the Messiah. Instead of waiting for that kind of a transition, I believe Paul circumcised Timothy for the sake of the Jews so that Timothy could begin to minister right away and continue to be active with Paul without having to wait somewhere else while Paul was ministering the gospel. But then when you continue to read in Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 4, it says, Now while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. In other words, they were to observe these things that the apostles had decreed. Well, it doesn't say that Paul went to the churches and told them to observe these things. It only says that he went to the churches and delivered the decrees. It doesn't say that he wanted to enforce the decrees. Because we know that Paul did not really look at the apostles in Jerusalem as being anybody of importance at all. He didn't consider them to be of any greater importance than himself. And he didn't consider anyone to be of greater importance than himself either. 
And so the decrees, while he delivered them out of respect and honor to the apostles in Jerusalem, that doesn't mean that he went and told the people in the churches that they would have to abide under these commands. I sincerely believe that those commands are very valid, and I could see him going and telling them that these are definitely worthwhile commands, that these are things, these are decrees that you should consider, and of course, we would expect you to avoid those things that were associated with idols, but not because of the decrees. I would expect that Paul would tell them to avoid these things, not because of the decrees, but because of the change in their heart of turning to the true and living God. And so while it is recorded here by Luke that this is something that Paul did, that he did give the decrees, obviously Paul is going against the decrees by not circumcising people, by not encouraging them to go to the synagogue every Sabbath so that they can hear the law of Moses as well. That was something that James said as a concession to appease the people in his church. Look, they've got the law of Moses being spoken of in the synagogue. They can go there. Did Paul go to these people and say, hey, listen, James said that you ought to go to the synagogue so that you can hear the law of Moses there? No, that is not what he did. So personally, I can see how this would play out. I personally believe that Paul would go and he would report to them, listen, we had this big confrontation over the subject of circumcision. There was a big debate that occurred in Jerusalem. I went down there with Barnabas, and we discussed this matter privately with the elders and the apostles and also publicly with the other members, those who were of the sect of the Pharisees who believed, and we discussed this matter with regards to how you should now live in light of the salvation that you have received. And I want you to know that this is what they believe. This is what they believe about how you should be living. This is what they believe in terms of how you should worship your God and how you should grow and mature in your daily life in your relationship with Christ Jesus. For example, they would expect you to perform works in order to demonstrate that your faith is alive, otherwise your faith may be dead. That's something that James taught when he wrote his letter to the twelve lost tribes of Israel, his letter that he wrote that we have in the New Testament called the book of James. That's what he said, that faith without works is dead. And so if you would like to know what the works are, he lists a few. But if you go into the law of Moses, which apparently he still conceded to as being the means by which a person should go, then the works that a person should be expected to perform are the works that were defined by the law of Moses. And I could see Paul telling them that this is what they're teaching. This is what they believe. And if you'd like to go down that path, then go ahead. By all means, give it your best effort. But be sincere about it. Be true to it. Because if you will be true, and if you will be sincere, you will definitely discover that you will not obey God. You will not repent from your sins. And because of that, you should come to the point of recognizing that you have absolutely no hope outside of the grace and mercy of God, which is the purpose of the law, to lead you to Christ Jesus so that you see that you have absolutely no hope outside of the grace and mercy of God. That's what the law was given for. It can still be used to this day. However, in light of that, I sincerely believe that Paul would have then followed it up with his explanation with regards to how we now live, that we now live with the grace we have received, that we now live in light of what Christ Jesus has done for us, not what we do for him, but on the basis of what he has done for us, which means that we trust in him, we depend on him, we live a life of thankfulness 
for the forgiveness that we have and for all that he has given to us. That is what I would expect of the Apostle Paul. And the reason why, again, is because of the letters that he wrote after his second missionary journey, because the content of his letters clearly shows that Paul did not believe that a person should live a life in pursuit of the law of Moses, that a person should live a life of dependency and trust in the grace of God in what Christ Jesus has already done for us, that a person would then enter into a form of rest, rest from their own works, rest from their fear, rest by enjoying the love and the acceptance of our God, because it's only through that that we can experience the fruit of the Spirit as that is given to us to abide in, to trust in, and the result of that would be a fulfillment in the deepest part of our being such that we would then have something to share with someone else, that which we have received from our God. And that would then be the hallmark, or that would be the expression of our daily life, a life of going out into the world and engaging the world with the fullness of what we have been given by Christ Jesus what we have already been given, what we have, the abundance of what we have, the abundance that is described as our inheritance in Christ Jesus. I sincerely believe that based on the writings of Paul, that that is the message that he brought to them. But at the same time, he also brought the decrees of the apostles in Jerusalem. And I sincerely believe that he could use both of them in order to contrast the differences between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, and that he could easily use the teachings of the church in Jerusalem in order to reveal the reality of the New Covenant and the new life that we now live in today. I do this as well. I quite often will introduce subjects by talking about the subject or talking about a section of scriptures from a traditional point of view or from a popular point of view that I certainly disagree with, But I will often present a subject or I will present a topic or interpret certain scripture passages in light of what other people believe that I do not agree with in order to explain to people that this is what is popularly taught today. Understand that this is what people believe today and understand that predominantly this is what people are teaching today. And this is what people are supporting today financially. They're supporting this kind of teaching. They're supporting this work. And I totally disagree with it. But I want you to know that this is their premise. This is their conclusion. This is the reason why they believe these things. And I use that as a means of demonstrating to them how futile this belief often is and how empty it really is and how it leads a person absolutely nowhere in their faith and why it will do that, and why it will be so destructive in terms of their growth and maturity in Christ Jesus, so that I can contrast that with the truth of the new covenant and what Christ Jesus has already done for us and how we can now live in light of what he has done, and then interpret the scripture passages on the basis of the new covenant, not on the basis of the old. And so I certainly am not afraid of what other people believe, And I know what other people believe, and I teach what other people believe in order to teach what I believe and compare the two and demonstrate why what I believe is more correct, why what I believe will set a person free, whereas what other people believe will put people in bondage, and why it will put people in bondage. And so given that that's the case, I would not be surprised if Paul used the same approach, because it is a very effective approach 
in ministering to people, in reaching out to people, because in general, people start with preconceived ideas. You know, when I talk with someone, I meet with somebody new and I want to talk with them about the scriptures or they want to talk with me about the scriptures. When we begin our interaction, one of the common things that I ask them is I ask them, tell me about your background. Tell me about your religious background and what kinds of churches have you spent a lot of time with? The reason why I ask that is because depending upon the congregation they have been a part of, they can generally have different preconceived ideas with regards to what the scriptures say or what the scriptures mean. For the most part, I find that people do have a religious background of some kind, and and in general, they will have abandoned their churches before that they were participating in before. In general, they will have abandoned them, they will have left them, they will have gone from one denomination to another denomination, they will have changed their perspective on the scriptures two or three times. In general, that's the case, but it gives me a better understanding of what kind of vocabulary they would be more familiar with. It really helps me in order to tailor what I'm going to say in light of what I know they would have been exposed to previously so that I can have more direct meaning and application to them. For example, if somebody comes out of Catholicism, then I will speak to them differently if a person has just come out of a traditional Pentecostal church. I will speak to them differently because I'll know that they will have had exposure to different kinds of doctrines, that there will have been different issues that they would have considered to be important that the churches would have considered to be important. And I can also be more effective in speaking with them when I understand what they rejected and what they accepted. If there were some things that they did reject before, but there were other things that they did hold on to versus things that they held on to and other things that they rejected, however their beliefs would have transitioned, if I understand what people believe, then I can be much more effective in communicating what I believe to them in light of what they do believe in order to give comparisons and contrasts and in order to use words that I know they do understand or use different words that could have a different meaning to them versus what they mean to me. I do this in order to ensure clear communication and in order to maximize the opportunity that I have to be able to speak with people about what the Lord Jesus has revealed to me. And so I would encourage you to do the same and to consider that and to first start listening to people instead of speaking to people right away. Listen to them first and see how you can apply the truths that the Lord has revealed to you to their life instead of just unloading on them, hoping that something will stick and be meaningful to them personally. You can be much more effective in communicating the gospel when it is applied directly to what is important to the individual you are speaking to. And so I sincerely believe that the important lesson that we could definitely learn from the beginning of Acts chapter 16 is that it's not always about us. That when Paul circumcised Timothy, he certainly demonstrated that it wasn't just about him, it wasn't just about what he believed. Because we know that he argued very strongly and he held very strongly to the truth that a person did not have to be circumcised. But in this case, he did it not for himself, not for Timothy, but for the Jews, for the people that he was going to reach out to, that there are times when we can let go of our own personal pride, which is what it ends up being. We can let go of what we know is really true. And what I mean by that is not compromising what is true and certainly not turning away from what is true. You don't have to reject what is true in order to do something like this. You don't have to turn away from it. 
being concerned about what other people may think of you because you have done something that seems contrary to what you truly believe in. That's not what this is. What this is about is this is about enabling Timothy to be more effective in being able to communicate the gospel. And it is clear to me that Paul is willing to do just about anything in order to tell people about the gospel, that he is willing to even go this far in order to reach out to people. This is something that I think many people can learn from, that it's not always about us. It's not always about how you say something. That is not what is always important. In many cases, people say that you have to say things in a specific way, that you have to use specific words, that you always have to say things in a specific scriptural way that can be validated as the truth. And you cannot say things in any other way to give the impression or to give the opportunity for people to misunderstand what you are saying. Well, this always depends on who you're talking to and who you're trying to reach out to. It's very useful to be sensitive to this, and in order to be sensitive to this, I really believe that a person really has to step aside from a lot of their personal pride and really reach out to people with the love that the Lord has given to them to communicate with them in a way that that person can understand, in a way that that person can appreciate, even though others may misunderstand or misinterpret what you're communicating Don't let that stop you. If you're reaching out to someone specific, if the Lord has directed you to reach out to someone who has preconceived ideas or preconceived beliefs, then you need to take that seriously and be willing to let go of some things, if necessary, in order to be as effective as possible in order to communicate the gospel. Because these other things can be dealt with later. These other things can be resolved in another way. The most important thing is to first talk to people about the gospel, about the Lord Jesus, about the forgiveness of sins, about being set free from the law from there, and move on in a gradual way, building on a foundation that has to initially be laid and sometimes is necessary not to compromise the truth, but to let go of some things in order to reach out to people that you otherwise would not be able to reach out to as effectively as you can if you're willing to do things such as this in order to have an open door presented to you that you can walk through, enter in, and reach out to a person right where they are in their life right now. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net that can make-